Yes, that's right. On the 1st and 2nd of May this year, Liverpool is the only place to be for anyone interested in free software, free culture and free thinking. It's the second live OGCAMP event, organised by the Linux Outlaws and the Ubuntu UK podcast. The 1st and 2nd of May 2010 at the Blackie, Liverpool. Visit ogcamp.org for more details. Join us for the 2010 Southeast Linux Fest as we once again celebrate Linux and open source software in the GNU slash South. Due to the overwhelming response last year, this year's event will be bigger, better, and longer. Self 2010 will take place Friday, June 11th through Sunday, June 13th at the Spartanburg Marriott at Renaissance Park in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Be there for UbuCon, Fedora Activity Day, BSDA certification, Drupal Camp, multiple parties featuring Dual Core as well as the guys from Mystery Science Theater 3000 as Rift Tracks, and an even more expansive group of superb speakers, sponsors, and exhibitors. Self is free to attend, but hurry and register today to lock in the special discount room rate at the hotel. Register today at southeastlinuxfest.org. Everybody, welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack. Uh, this is liable to be the shortest episode ever, but we're here and we're going to make it happen. My name is Richard KB5JBV, and over there in the beautiful, lovely, scenic, mountainous forest of northern Arkansas is my compadre in crime, Russ K5TUX. Say hello to everybody, Russ. Buenas noches, everyone. This is Russ in the pine forests between the peaks of north central Arkansas. And everything is actually nice and green and blooming up in the middle of April up here. So it's it's very picturesque this time of year around here. Yeah, it's blooming up here, too. I got weeds in the front yard three feet tall. Dog on it. All that rain this year. All right. <laughs> Well, everybody's had a challenging week on this on this end at Linux in Hamshack, and uh, we're we're gonna jump on through. We want to hear what y'all thought about the last show because I was really impressed by the last show, especially the part where uh, Russ kept putting the bleeps in because that that was really cool. 
Uh, as usual, we're going to continue the reading email at the end thing. So, uh, let's start off with some announcements. I don't really have any myself. Nobody's contacted this me- this week. Want me to tell anybody about anything. However, Russ is getting quite famous. He was on Fresh Who Bun, Who Ubuntu the other day. And, uh, actually it sounded really, really good. I can, I hear that he ran Harlem off and him and him and Peter are scheming. But, uh, what do you got over on that end, Russ? Oh, actually, it was me and Cobra 2 over there on Fresh Ubuntu, and I was actually supposed to do a full episode with them, and that sort of fell through, but oh well. At least, they, at least I got into a short one. Maybe I'll get into a long one here at some point. Yeah, there you go. All I've ever done is talk to them guys on Twitter. Yeah, Peter actually like knows who I am now. I'm kind of surprised. We get we get a lot of press, and Peter Peter knows me. It take probably take a little bit of jogging his memory. Uh, I offered him a spot over at Black Sparrow Media when uh, they were having some issues over there, and uh, I was trying to get his man page many back where people could listen to it. But enough about me. Uh, what you got over there? <laughs> well, this the rest of this little opening bit's going to be all about us anyway. The announcement oh. section. Cool. Yeah. I don't know if you know about it, Richard, but there is an audio promo for the show. Did I? I don't think I got a chance to share it with you. Did I? No. Everybody leaves me out till last. Well, I'm sorry about that, but <clears throat> we do have an audio promo for the show. And are you listening to Working in the Open? Actually, the URL I had for or the RSS feed I had for Working in the Open uh, doesn't seem to be working, so uh, I haven't had a chance to correct that yet. So I haven't heard any of his episodes. Okay, so you're listening to not working in the open, apparently. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've been pushing the audio promo on it, everybody I come across, and so far, working in the open is the only show that's played it so far. So you can go to the last episode of working in the open, and you can hear our audio promo. It's actually it actually came out pretty good. I see. That means that all them guys, all them guys we've been talking about their shows, they, they, they don't even want to put a little bitty promo of our show on there. I see how it is. Well, no, I actually have an audio promo for the Bad Apples that is going to get played on this episode at some point. Well, that's what I'm saying. We do it for we do it for them. They don't want to do it for us. But that's okay. Because well, I think it's honestly because no one's put out an episode in a while. I don't know if you've been following these podcasts lately, but everybody's been kind of slacking. Hmm, I guess we better all get that under control, especially me. <laughs> all right, so anyway, uh, go listen to Working in the Open if you haven't had a chance to listen to that yet, and if nothing else, you can hear our promo over there, so that's pretty cool. I know he slid a I'm sure somewhere in there he slid Richard in there saying, bite me. <clears throat> no, I didn't hear that, actually. <laughs> but you never know. There's There's always another episode. He's only up to number five right now. Oh, I see. Well, there you go. Yeah. Okay, so we got a promo happening, y'all. Y'all go listen to it. Tell them that you like it. Tell them to play it more often. In fact, they can they can loop it for an entire episode if they would like. Uh, <laughs> working in open. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so, you got? like I said, I got lots of stuff. The latest episode of the Practical Amateur Radio podcast, I don't remember the number right offhand, but Jerry over there mentioned us again as a good Linux podcast, and he we were first on the ones he on the list of ones he mentioned. So that was pretty cool. So thanks, Jerry, again for that. So we're going to mention him anyway. And if you uh, want to listen to the Practical Amateur Radio podcast, he's over at www.myamateurradio.com. Nothing to say. 
You know, I, I take a little pride in, in Jerry's show because when he's successful, I feel successful because I was the guy he come to asking questions before he ever started the thing. So it, when, when Jerry's chugging along and doing well, it makes me proud. It's like, it's like, uh, watching your kid playing on the football team or something because even though he is far more professional and has a whole lot better setup than, um, than I myself do, it just makes me feel good to know that he's out there. He's plugging along and that i had some small part to play in it in the beginning and he he sure will uh in fact i just heard that episode today i think uh qrp yeah it's his uh, short casts his qrp yeah. episodes yeah practical amateur radio podcast qrp they're supposed to be short like five minute weekly episodes and stuff like that y'all go on over and check them out uh yeah he's he talked about uh, this show resonant frequency uh two or three uh solder smoke and some of the others and uh, all those uh, links are available over at his site so y'all can go over and check that out too uh, i believe it's uh myamateurradio.com i think no you're exactly right since i just said that Oh, well, I know I heard it somewhere. <laughs> and if it ain't right, Jerry will correct me because he's got my email address. <laughs> Go, Jerry. Oh, yeah, he's two. I think his show's two years old, uh, either this month or next month. So y'all go over and, and say hello to him. All right. So, uh, what else we got, Russ? We had two contests running. Now we only have one. The logo contest that I started couldn't generate any entries, even with a hundred dollar payoff. So I decided to go and get a logo myself and cancel the contest. So the contest is over. We didn't get any entries. If you wanted the 100 bucks, sorry, you're out of luck. But if you want to see the new logo, you're welcome to go to lhspodcast.info and check out the website redesign, and you'll see the new logo. Yeah, y'all go on over and take a look, and uh, let us know how you what you think about that. Uh the colors are different. It's a whole new thing. It's really not much like what we had before. So uh, go on over there and uh, check it out, and we'll find something else for y'all to do. Yeah, and pretty soon that logo is going to be on T-shirts and ball caps and all kinds of other stuff. So look forward to being able to get Linux in the Hamshack merchandise here pretty quick. Why, look, there's a, 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 a Miss What's-Her-Name from the last show. Stormy Peters? Yeah. Yeah, Stormy. That's That's it. <laughs> she was a nice lady yep yep and in fact it's green which uh i prefer green anyway so uh, y'all go over and check it out it's not like ugly terrible horrible linux mint green but uh it's uh <laughs> actually it's kind of cool y'all go check it out all right so next i have the fact that we will be at the dayton hamvention and uh we haven't pinned you down on this richard are you going to be there or not I am still 99% sure I'm going. I just haven't actually booked my plane or my room yet, which I need to get done before they run out. Okay. Yeah, you better do that. <clears throat> but, yeah, other considerations, other things needing to be done. But I'll get it taken care of, y'all. I promise I will get it taken care of. Okay. So we will be there at the Dayton Hamvention in Dayton, Ohio, of course, May 14th through the 16th of this year will be in the North Hall booth 265. And if you need more information about the Dayton Hamvention, you can go to www.hamvention.org. So we hope to see everybody at the Dayton Hamvention. Now, I assume you're not going to Southeast Linux Fest, even though I am, right? 
uh, Southeast Linux Fest. Unfortunately, that's a little far away. And I really hate to say that, but, uh, <laughs> I'm on limited budget around here, y'all. Oh, <laughs> uh, I would dearly love to be there though with all the, all the guys that I've been talking to and chatting with and getting to know over the last year or two. Uh, unfortunately, Southeast Linux Fest is a little bit far out. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to make it. However, y'all can, uh, y'all can pat, uh, Pat Dave on the head for me while you're there and tell him I said hello. Well, I'll do that, too, because I will be, or Cheryl and I will be, most likely. Well, I will be for sure. Cheryl probably will be at the Southeast Linux Fest, and that's June 11th through the 13th in Spartanburg, South Carolina. The website for that is southeastlinuxfest.org. And just today, Dave Yates badgered me into doing a session, so I'll be a speaker at Southeast Linux Fest. What are you going to speak about? Well, what do you think I'm going to speak about? Linux and ham radio. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. They they wanted a talk on ham uh, ham radio presence, and so that's what I'm going to do. Oh, okay. Ooh, it's a good thing I'm not going. I could really mess that up. It'd be more fun if you went, and plus I wouldn't have to talk as long. <laughs> I could really mess it up, though. <laughs> All right, well, I was going to talk about the donation fund for your noise gate, but you have some information on that, and we're going to have to change our donation fund. So go ahead and talk about it. Yeah, y'all listen. See? Noise gate. Actually, we ha- I have a letter that came along with it, but um, the other day I received a box. It was sitting on my front porch, and uh, Brenda went over and grabbed it and started to open it, and I told her not to point it at her face. Uh, because unidentified brown boxes that, uh, that show up on your porch, you know, you want to be careful when you open them bad boys, you know, Ted Kaczynski is like pinned up, but there's still people like him running around. However, what, when I opened the box to my surprise, there was a noise gate donated to, uh, the show by Jim, uh, Jim W nine G N G. He sent this on along and we're actually using it tonight. So, uh, for those of you that have had, uh, had a problem with, uh, wearing headphones and I was making too much noise for you and stuff, uh, please send us an email and let us know how it's working out. I'm still in the process of adjusting it out and, uh, working with it, but, uh, we are definitely getting there. And when we get to our email segment or our feedback segment, I'll go ahead and read the, uh, read the letter to y'all. Russ thinks it sounds great. I do. It sounds very good over here. In other words, I can't hear anything, so it sounds great. Yes, and it matches uh, every screen I've got that's got Crunchbang Linux running on it. Very, very good. Yeah, it's black. Yeah, my my noise gate's black too. Must must be a thing. Well, yeah. And now all I got to do is find a couple screws and mount it and get it up out of the way. <laughs> well, at least it's working, and we're glad you got that. So we'll talk a little bit about that during the feedback section. Yeah, because I may be able to run the air conditioner this summer without anybody griping. Sounds like a plan. There you have it. What else you got, Russ? Well, I just got a couple more things for the announcement section. First of all, since we are kind of migrating away from the BlackSparrowMedia.com stuff, I would like to invite everyone who has a link to us using BlackSparrowMedia.com stroke LHS to change it so that when BlackSparrowMedia.com goes away, your link will not break. So if you have a link to us, please update it so that it points to lhspodcast.info, if you would be so kind. Yes, and uh, as I said before, the other show is currently on hiatus, 
And uh, the link will be going away. Any link you have to Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast, will be going away if it points to BlackSparrowMedia.com. We will keep you all posted at the Linux and Hamshack website on uh, developments in that direction uh, so that at least when we get the old shows reposted, we have a link for you all to get to them. And when new shows go back in, when the new shows go into production, and they will eventually go back into production, uh, you'll be able to get to those too. So, uh, go over to, uh, LHS, uh, info dot, no. No, you can still use that one too. Okay. LHSinfo.org and, uh, uh, check out what's going on. In fact, uh, every, every address you use to get to, uh, over to Black Sparrow Media, well, no, not all of them, but uh, most of the addresses you use to find me out on the Internet are, will get pointed over there also if they're still active and on. So uh, go on over and check it out, get the information, stay stay, stay up to speed on what's going, with, going on with the other show. All right. Uh, what else you got, uh, Russ? Okay, well, here's a quick one. I want to reintroduce the irc channel to everybody so that if you happen to be an irc user make sure you sign in and hang out with the other folks who are linux in the hamshack users at irc.freenode.net and the channel is pound lhs podcast we have several people who hang out in there all the time so we'd like to see you there as well and we're there like uh, all week long in between the shows and everything, they answer questions, talk about the show, shoot the bull, and all that kind of stuff. Wow, there's people in there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. It'd, it'd cool. be nice if you were in there, you know? Well, I didn't know there was anybody in there. Oh, yeah. Cafe Ninja hangs out in there all the time now. Of course, it depends on me being able to sit down at the computer for more than three minutes. Let me see. Who's in there right now? Oh, there's that guy, KB5JBV, is in there right now. But he's going, but you know what? I need to quit looking at him because I will get distracted. (laughs) All right. I got one more thing for this part of the show anyway. And that is that if you've been listening to any of the other or some of the other, I should say, uh, ham radio related podcasts, some of them show up on a website called tech podcasts. Uh, I believe that's dot com techpodcast.com. We're listed on the Tech Podcast Network. Right, and that's kind of what I'm getting to, is some of those podcasts, like us, who are listed on techpodcast.com, can now be accessed on media devices, particularly the Boxy and the RockU, which some people call the Roku. Each one of those devices and the software for Boxy has has an application section, and if you go in there and find the Tech Podcast area, and go to the Linux section, we are listed there. So if you happen to be a Boxy or a RockU user, you can find Linux in the Hamshack on those devices. And if you don't have a Boxy or a RockU, uh, go get one so you can listen to us over there. And if you'd like to get inf- more information on that, please check out MyAmateurRadio.com. MyAmateurRadio.com. Yeah, we. I heard about it first from him, and then I went to see why. You know, if we were listed on the Boxy since he was, and I have the Boxy software at work on my iMac, yeah. and we weren't listed, and I was like, "Oh no, how come we're not listed?" He's over there, so I emailed the guys over at TechPodcast.com, and they said, "Well, your RSS feed is broken," and I said, "It is," and went and looked at it, and sure enough, it was the original one, the BlackSparrowMedia.com. 
So I had them fix it, and now we're listed. All righty. Well, there we go. And once again, thanks to our, our companion in crime over in beautiful Colorado uh, <laughs> for, for helping us out on that or at least reminding us that something was going on with it. <laughs> and I, it's like I said, I don't mind Jerry mentioning Jerry. In fact, we'd, we'd drag his butt in here if we could get away with it. So what else? That's all I've got for the announcements and intro stuff for the show. I think we can probably take a break here and move into the content of the program. You know what? That would be a good idea. So roll that beautiful bean footage. I will do that, or whatever you just said. Anyway, we got some stuff coming up in the middle, and stay tuned.
All right, and we made it through another break with no broken bones, the police not having to be called, everybody's still semi-sober, and life is good. Okay, this time around, uh, I think Russ and I, and Russ uh, more than I, are, am going to talk about XDX for a little while. Uh, but in, without giving away the, the ending of the, of the story, let me go ahead and turn that over to Russ and, and, uh, uh, Oh, yeah, I remember what I say. I say, take it away, Russ. And I say, okay. Uh, since we haven't had a lot of amateur radio content in the show over the last few episodes, although I think the episodes have been fairly interesting, I thought it might be nice to actually throw some amateur radio and Linux content back into a show called Linux in the Ham Shack. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So... Uh, I found an application that we haven't really talked about in the past. In fact, I don't even think we've mentioned it in the past, and that's an application called XDX. And what XDX is, is it's an X-based Linux DX cluster client. And Richard is going to tell you what an X-based Linux DX cluster client is. Huh? Actually, tell you the truth, way on back in one of the early episodes, we did an overview of amateur-related software. And when we got to DX, uh, soft, DX cluster software, XDX is one of the ones we, uh, we threw in there and talked about. All right. XDX, like Russ said, is a, uh, an X-based, uh, DX cluster program. Now, when you open it, it looks like anything else and you can add it to the, to the menu over on your sidebar and you never even see a terminal to get it started. For those of you who are fairly new to amateur radio, a DX cluster is a place where a bunch of people sign in. They're amateur radio operators. They're sitting around. They're scanning the bands, listening to different stuff. And when they hear a, a station that uh, they want to go ahead and let everybody know is out there, normally after they've worked it, uh, <laughs> they will go ahead and post it on this DX cluster. Now, these DX clusters are connected worldwide. Uh, but mostly, for the most part, via the internet, there are very, there are a few still out there operating on a, on, uh, RF only. But for the most part, they're connected through the internet. And say somebody posts a spot in England, it will show up on the DX cluster, say here in Texas and come up. And then you can take that frequency and when it comes up, you can dial it in on your radio and you may or may not, depending on propagation here, that station which gives you an opportunity to go ahead and jump on that bad boy. Whereas uh, in the old days when we had a hard time getting access to the DX cluster, uh, you actually had to just scroll up and down the bands until you found what you were after. But this sure enough changes the game, especially for you lower power guys. Uh, When I was trying to prove that you could work DXCC on a wire antenna in less than 100 watts to one of the big uh, DX guys here locally in uh, that you could work it in less than a year, uh, I relied heavily on the DX cluster. And, in fact, the client that I used for the DX cluster at the time was XDX. So uh, it's an incredibly useful program, and there's a lot of information to be gleaned from it. But now I've run my head so long at Russ. I'm sure Russ is starting to snore. I don't have a picture of him on the screen tonight, so I, I, I bet he's over there dozing off. Now, see, all I have to do is say, Richard will tell you about this, and then I don't have to say anything anymore. Because Richie got a big mouth and likes to run his head. <laughs> all right, so we have the basis there of what a DX cluster client is. 
And the summary is basically just a bunch of people sitting around in a chat room telling you where to find the best DX. Now, that DX may be local to you because there are worldwide people on it. So DX to somebody in Siberia might be in Florida. So you might find local transceivers in there, local hams. But I'm looking at a list here, and there are some pretty interesting call signs in there, ones I certainly haven't seen in a long time. Things like 6Y5, RU9, OY1, Y08, stuff like that. Anyway, so basically, in Mint or Ubuntu or Debian, you can apt-get install xdx to install the program. It's as simple as that. Once you have it installed, you go into your menu, you find your ham radio section, and you click on XDX, and it will bring up a basic interface. Now, what that interface has is three three sections. It has a top section, it has a chat section, it has your input section on the bottom, and then there are eight blocks over on the right, and we'll get into what those are for here in a bit. But the controls for XDX are really simple. It's one of the simpler programs I've ever seen for ham radio operation. In fact, I learned how to use it just before the program. It took me about three minutes. So what you want to do when you first start it up is go into, click on the settings and go into preferences. The only thing you really need to set in here that I can see is your call sign. And if you happen to have your rig enabled and it is capable of being controlled by HamLib, you might want to check on the checkbox for enable ham live and you may have to do some playing around with that but it uh, basically just enables a simple command to set your frequency and that can be done through the program so once you set your call sign what you want to do is connect to a dx cluster all this is is an interface to a dx cluster now we're going to talk about connecting to telnet based telnet based internet dx clusters not clusters that are packet or radio-based. What you're going to do is you're going to click on Host and then click on Connect, and you're going to get a pop-up window that shows you a Host dialog and a Port dialog. And what you need to do at this point is find a DX cluster. So I've found there's, uh, if you go into the Help in XDX, there is a DX cluster page shown there, but I found a better one, and that is... Alpha Bravo 5 kilo.net slash arc node list with the A, N, and L, all capital, dot ASPX. So that's capital A, R, C, capital N, O, D, E, capital L, I, S, T, dot ASPX. And if you go there, there is a long, long list of worldwide DX clusters. DX cluster nodes. Most, if not all of these, should be open to you, so you can pick one. And I don't remember which one I picked. It was something local to me, I think, although it really doesn't matter. So you could try one, say, like, uh, here's one here, kilo2charliealphanovember.net port 4000. So you type in, in the host name, kilo2charliealphanovember.net, put 4000 in the host name, or in the port, sorry, and you connect. And what happens is you're connecting via Telnet, and it says it wants you to sign in. So what you do is you sign in with your call sign. 
But all I had to do was type my call sign, K5TUX, and it signed me in. And then it gave me a dialog, and you, you type that in the very bottom box. That's your input. And in the response box, which is the one sort of in the middle, or the one above the input, it gave me a bunch of things where I could set my QTH, my QRA, and a bunch of other stuff. And it tells you how to set those parameters. So you can do that or not as you please. And then the top box will show people who have registered DX stations whenever they register them. So you sit there and watch them, and they'll come in. And I'll give you a few examples of what I see on my screen right now. I've got, uh, well, let's just do the last two. The spotter was Papa Yankee 6 Hotel Delta, and the DX station spotted was Whiskey 2 Golf Golf India. Now, of course, Papa Yankee 6 Hotel Delta is um, a DX station for the U.S., therefore Whiskey 2 Golf Golf India is you know local to me but it's a dx station for the spotter so let me find one here that is the other way around okay here's one who was spotted by someone in the u.s kilo one november echo foxtrot and the dx station is uniform tango five echo oscar there's also a bunch of other information here including the country of the dx station which is the ukraine the grid square fn 41 the time spotted 0157 Zulu, the frequency, which is 7007.9 megahertz, and there are comments. And this one just says, thanks, Dan. These just come in as people spot them. I'm going to talk a little bit more about how you do the spotting and how you submit your information in a second, but I'm going to pause here to find out if Richard has anything to add. No, actually, I'm over on the AB5K's board right now our uh, DX cluster right now uh, went over there. He's the one that I normally use since he's here in Texas. He was in Bee Cave and he's moved to Holland. But um, he's close enough that I can be relatively sure anybody that puts a, puts a spot on directly from our location locally here, um, I'll be able to hear it. However, I'm seeing the same entries you are. I see P, uh, PY6HD posted by W2GGI, uh, UN7PUN. I didn't even notice that. Uh, UN7P, uh, posted by HS0ZEE, and one came up while I was talking from uh, Y04RYU uh, for what looks like a Canadian station. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention is you guys that have been around using the DX cluster in the past, working with this one here uh, right now, it, it appears that the uh, actual command set may have changed slightly, uh, whereas we used to put a put a uh, what they call a forward slash in front of uh, all the commands. Now uh, it appears that you can type the commands in directly, and uh, you use the forward sw- slash as a separator, like, such as in the case of uh, looking at the last uh, DX spots, last handful of DX spots where we used to put uh, forward slash sh space dx, now it's sh forward slash dx. But um, the command set is still pretty simple, and all you have to do is type help at the prompt, and it will bring it right up for you. So uh, go ahead, Russ. One nice thing about xdx is that the help file is very helpful. You You can't say that about everything, but in this case, it's true. So if you're monitoring your, you know, if you're monitoring a radio and you hear a DX station and you're connected to a DX cluster node, 
and you want to submit that station so everybody can tune into it in case they're interested in talking to that DX station, what you want to do is check out the help file. In your input box, you will enter a command similar to this. It'll be DX space the frequency space the station or the call sign of the station space your comments and that will update the DX cluster node and send your information to everybody and what will show up is in the top screen you'll see you know if you type uh, like in the example here they have DX 28002.2 XZ7A worked with 80 meter dipole so up in the top box it'll show spotter being U the QRG being 28002.2 the DX call sign your comments and it will stick in your time based on your, the clock on your computer it'll put in your grid square if you have set it in the DX cluster node and it may or may not put in the country of the DX station. I'm not sure where it actually gets that information. I'm not sure if it does a call sign lookup or not. I haven't checked the code. Most of the ones that are in the list right now that I see have a uh, country associated with them. Only a few are showing up as unknown. So it's definitely getting the information from somewhere. And uh, according to this information in the help file, you don't have to tell it what the country is, so it must be doing a lookup somewhere. Uh, does that jibe with your uh, use of XDX in the past? Well, yes, and um, in in this case, that that may is either coming from XDX, and I need to go ahead and look into preferences and stuff, or it's actually coming from the DX cluster itself. And um, like I said, AB5K, which is the one that I use normally, he runs a AR cluster, and there's about a half dozen uh, DX cluster programs out there or pieces of DX cluster software for actually running a node. They're moving more and more towards the ability to either pull it down off of QRZ or the FCC database or whatever they need to pull it down off of to get the information. Of course, there are also files I'm sure that you can set up with the actual call signs. We, you know, we have a list we can download from the ARRL to get the country prefixes. And I'm sure they probably have something like that also. But, uh, yeah, I will check into that and see, uh, see if it's actually the program pulling it down, which I would doubt because QRZ, QRZ's getting kind of picky about what information they can let you autom- they'll let you automatically get without going to their website. Uh, but I'm, if I was going to bet on it, I'd believe I would bet that uh, AR cluster has a facility for pulling that information down. I saw an interesting one come across just a second ago from PP5UF. You see that one? <laughs> there it is. Yeah, the DX yeah. station is PP5WEQ, and the, the comment is pirate. <laughs> yeah, which could either be... Uh, Chances are he he thinks it's probably a boot what we call a bootlegger, maybe not, but could be. Well, it just it was an interesting comment. I'm watching these come through. Yes, it's it kind of neat. Well, I mean, and they put information in this DX cluster uh, remarks field all the time. Like you know, there's a big pile up. And it's five nine of wherever they're reporting from, or um, occasionally if they're a special type station, they. Uh, um, 
or an uh, islands on the air station or a QRP station or a lighthouse station or something. People will put that in remarks fields and stuff like that. Um, you know, that remarks field can be very helpful. And there's even people that will sit on the cluster and work each other and communicate back and forth via the cluster because a DX cluster is much more than just a place where you uh, uh, locate DX stations. People help each other locate DX stations. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. The uh, remarks field is definitely uh, one of the things that is really helpful when you're trying to find those particular pieces of DX that you're uh, you're wanting to get under your belt. All right, so a few of the other things, uh, basic things you can do with XDX anyway in your DX cluster. Uh, this And this basically comes straight from the help file, and you can read uh, most of this information, and of course it's a lot more in-depth than I'm going into here. But some of the commands you can use are announce stroke full, and then supply a message, and that will send a text message to everyone who's connected to the DX cluster node. So you can chat with those people who are connected. And we already talked about the DX command, which will log um, a DX station so everybody can see it. You can do a show stroke DX or an SH stroke DX, which will show stations that have been previously logged. And you can give it arguments, which will show only certain stations. It will filter based on your arguments. And you can issue by, B-Y-E, which will log you off a DX cluster node. Now, XDX also has a highlight function. On the right-hand side, there are eight boxes, and you can put anything you want into those eight boxes. And what they are are search filters or highlight filters. So if you want to find a particular country prefix or you want to find a particular frequency or comment or country or something like that, you can put several different, you know, up to eight different filters into these boxes you click on the checkbox next to that box to enable them and then they will get highlighted your your entries that come up in the dx cluster will get highlighted when they match any of your search criteria and down at the bottom there's a button for sound and you can enable that so xdx will play a sound for you when something matches one of those highlights in case you happen to not be looking at your computer screen or are distracted for whatever reason while you're running XDX. Now, one of the cooler things about XDX is it has HamLive integration. And you may think, well, this is just an XDX cluster node. What good is having your rig hooked up to XDX? Well, what it does is, if your rig is on a particular frequency and you see a DX station come up in the list that you want to try and contact, you can click on the frequency, or what it calls the QRG, and it will use HamLive to tune your radio to the frequency listed in the DX cluster node. So you don't have to do any of the tuning. You just click on the thing, it tunes your radio, and you're ready to jump into the pileup for whatever. And I'm looking at this uh, guy here, PJ5KBF, down in St. Martin, and apparently he's got a good station because there are a lot of spotters uh, logging him. This is fun. I think I'm just I think I'm just going to sit here and watch this for a little while. Yeah, you see, he's infatuated, y'all. He he he's done fell in love with the DX cluster. <laughs> I might have to try well, for some of these. 
Well, yeah, hop on there and give them a shot. You know, uh, if I could get at the other, get at the radio on the other desk right now, I'm seeing several on there that I do not have. And, uh, I call myself a casual DXer, y'all. You know, I'm, I normally don't grab them unless I just run across them. But, uh, that other deal was a challenge and I had to prove it to him that, uh, uh, you didn't have to have a kilowatt and a four element beam to work DXCC in a year. But, uh, you know, Russ has got some good points. And, you know, a while ago I was talking, there's probably a thousand, uh, DX cluster client programs out there. Uh, as usual, the majority of them are for Windows. There's also a handful inside of, uh, Linux. Not only is there XDX, there's one called Color DX, there's a couple of others. Uh, there are logging programs. A lot of the logging programs have DX cluster uh, capability uh, built into them and that kind of stuff. There's lots of ways for uh, uh, you to get on there and monitor what's going on with the DX cluster. Now, all, one of the other things I was talking about a while ago is there's probably uh, eight uh, that are in common usage right now. Uh, the one that I'm on over here at AB5K is uh, AR cluster. There's also one written by a gentleman in uh, Canada called CC Cluster, CO, CLX, Clus, CLUSS. That is, uh, that has a Linux version, maybe completely Linux. Uh, and that's something else I wanted to get at that, uh, if, uh, these don't have a Linux version also, the actual main cluster software. Uh, there are some that are exclusively Linux. They only run on Linux. I think Clus and, uh, DX Spider are the two that run on, uh, that don't have a, uh, a version for anything other than Linux. But, uh, yeah. And if you think about putting one up, it's a good idea. Y'all go check it out and research it and, that kind of stuff. Uh, you can't, it's not like a lot of things in amateur radio. You can't just go out there and throw it up and expect it to work. Uh, you will have to get with some of the DX cluster guys, the guys running other, uh, other sites and, uh, talk to them about being able to hook up through their system so that, uh, you're linked into the network. But, uh, now I've talked long enough and it's probably Russ's turn again. Well, I think I'm just about done with my talk on XDX. I just want to mention a couple of things. First of all, that XDX was written by Jupe Stockenborg, and I'm not sure what nationality that is because I don't have my list of countries in front of me, but his call sign is Papa Golf for India. It is a GPL application, so it's completely open source, licensed to the GPL. And I'm using it on Linux Mint 7 right now, and the version I have is 2.4.1. And uh, I'm not sure what version you're going to get when you install it, but it looks like the X integration and uh, on my GNOME desktop, it is very clean, uses my uh, system fonts excellently. Uh, it's a nice, simple interface. Everything's broken out well. There's not a lot of controls, so it's very easy to figure out how to use. The help file, if you click on help and then go to manual or simply hit the F1 key, uh, goes into some great detail. It talks about some of the things we've talked about, but it goes into much deeper detail than that. It even goes into the .xdx configuration files, um, auto-login, and all kinds of information that might be helpful to someone getting into using a DX cluster for the first time. 
So I think as a ham radio operator, if you're interested in capturing those DX stations and you haven't tried out a Linux-based DX cluster client, uh, check out XDX. Yeah, and it's like I said, folks, that's one uh, of the handful that I found that when I first uh, got on Linux, that is the one that I liked using. Uh, there was one of the logging programs that I ended up getting where I was using the DX cluster in it because it was integrated and I just didn't, didn't have to do so much clicking. But, uh, yeah, y'all go check out the DX cluster. Y'all check out some of the software. There's not a whole lot you can't do with Linux and amateur radio. You just have to find the right stuff to do it with. Oh, doggone it. That was something I was going to say and I can't remember. Y'all know I lose my mind. Y'all know I do. Oh, while I'm thinking about it, Russ, what are them little boxes over there for? I talked about the little boxes. Those are the highlight boxes. Oh, did you? I did not hear it. I must have been asleep. Yeah, you must have dozed off on me. It doesn't That's the great thing me. about this noise gate. You can't hear me snoring. <laughs> we would like to thank PG4i for uh, uh, this AR cluster. It's, it's really good stuff. That is AR, cl- AR cluster you were talking about, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Jupe's over in the Netherlands, so he's probably starting to warm up. We may get to hear from him eventually. We never know. We never know. Okay, so uh, before we go on to the break and then come back for some feedback, uh, has anybody in the chat room got any questions on uh, DX Cluster or XDX? We'll turn we'll turn Color DX into a whole show by itself. We made XDX a whole show by itself. As far as uh, packet cluster clients, XDX is probably one of the better ones I've ever used. You know, it, it's simple, it does one job, and it does it well. And that's the point of Linux, isn't it? I would think so. And N0XLT asked which DX cluster we logged into, and we both used uh, AB5K.net. Right. AB5K has two two clusters up. One is uh, for DX, and the other one's kind of for folks that are trying to work all states. That's something I probably need to uh, throw y'all's direction. Uh, Russ, give you – I need to quit going, uh, don't I? <laughs> it makes it easier for me when editing, yeah, if you can stop it, but I do okay. it all the time too. Okay, I'll try. All right. Well, there's several pages out there that'll give you a rundown, a, a list of what uh, Telnet. I'm doing it again. What Telnet DX DX clusters are available out there? It'll give you either a, a URL or an IP address or something like that. Some of them have non-standard ports to use, and that's mainly a difference. It's like DX Spider uses port 7300, and um, in the case of AR cluster, it's normally port 23. One, the one actually that I'm looking at right now is www.ng3k.com forward slash capital M ISC forward slash cluster dot HTML. The one I'm hooked into right now is dxc-us.ab5k.net. That's AB5K2. That's for DX in the U.S. Uh, His other one is dxc.ab5k.net. Now, if you'll go check this list, you may be able to find one that's closer 
to your location, you may find other hams on there. As we were saying earlier, there's different facilities, including uh, a conference mode, which is kind of like a chat room, a way to send emails back and forth to other people on that particular cluster or that connect to other clusters and stuff like that. I really advise all of y'all going out there and perusing that chat, perusing the uh, help file. And uh, just taking a look at what all this the stuff out on the internet will do, and uh, a program like DX Cluster will definitely facilitate it for you. So, with that, I've run my head again. Are you snoring yet, Russ? I am, but you can't hear it because of my noise gate. Ah, well, there you go. Uh, you people got ought to count yourself lucky because y'all can't even hear me clearing my throat in the background while with this thing on here tonight. So with that, let's see, uh, N0XLT normally uses K0GND.UNL.EDU, University of something, port 23. And chances are they're probably running, uh, probably running AR cluster or one of the older cluster programs, which use the standard ports. All right. So if you don't have anything else, uh, Russ, I don't have anything else. I, I we could probably take a break. We've been talking a while. Well, that sounds good. I just want to update you on k0gnd.unl.edu. That is the Lincoln, Nebraska Amateur Radio Club, University of Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, okay. Well, they got their letters backwards. UNL, not uh, yeah. They got a, got their letters backwards. <laughs> yeah, University of Nebraska Lincoln. Yeah, I'm afraid of Nebraska. They got like. These things in the ground up there that tends to shoot up into the sky. Anyway, um, I went to Nebraska once and I have blocked it from my mind. No, it's Oklahoma. No, I've been to Oklahoma too many times to block it from my mind. And I broke down there last week. So let's see how you are. See, the karma's getting you too. I guess so. I think we better play some music before the karma catch up. Okay, I'll play something that wards off vampires and karma. We'll be back on the other side.
Okay, and the music endeth. So I guess that's time for feedback. So I've got some, and Russ has got some, and we're going to see if we can't just whip them on out because I know, I know they're interesting. And we appreciate every single one that y'all send to us. But I'm going to do it again. Um, no, I ain't because I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to be selfish this time, Russ. As I said earlier in the show, um, we received uh, the donation of a noise gate from one of our listeners, uh, Jim W9GNG, who, um, uh, is follows me on Facebook. I think he follows me over on Twitter. I haven't been over there in a while to check. And, um, uh, I know he's apparently an avid listener of the show. And if you're listening, Jim, I'm sorry. I don't get, I haven't gotten back to you more often, but it seems like you and I just keep missing each other. I leave a browser over open over here all the time. So it looks like it's open. Anyway, it's time for me to quit rattling and get on with it. Richard, please accept this donation of a noise gate. This is the uh, one I used to kill background noise. It works very well. It is designed to be a very low noise gate to go between the mic and the mixer. It requires phantom power and passes the phantom power through also which is good because my microphone wouldn't work if there was no phantom power. Anyway, this should uh, shut up those <laughs> this should shut up those whiners, but also limit background noise and key typing. That's why I use it. I like my clickety clack, thank you very much. Um you and Russ do a wonderful job. I wish I had the time to get involved, but with my 4 hours a day on the on the road, 8 hours in the office, and trying to spend time with my family, all of the hobbies take a back seat, as they should. All truly good all-American hams spend time with their family. I enjoy listening to you guys beat, beat around different views and hearing new stuff about open source and Linux distros. I don't always agree. Free country. I don't always agree, but that's what makes this, makes things interesting. Unlike others... Unless I want to speak up and get involved, I will respect and enjoy what people do contribute to the show. Hope someday to find time to be an active roundtable member. I have been in computers for 20 years, started with a Radio Shack Coco in the 80s, Novell Networks and Linux in the 90s. Today, work as an Oracle admin and server configuration manager. Like Russ, I have a job that requires me to use, you use, to use just about every type of OS there is. And my home power machine is a Mac Pro. I grew up with amateur radio in the house because of my dad and have been putting together electronics since I could read. I was active in AMSAT around 2000, but with uh, life getting busier, I kind of let that go. I really enjoy your talk, enjoyed your talk about SAT operation. I hope it gets more people interested. You and Russ keep up the good work. And that's signed Jim W9GNG. Well, Jim, I know that the listeners appreciate it. I know Russ appreciates it because all my hacking and coughing and, and slurping and everything else is probably driving them all crazy. What do you think, Russ? Well, we know of at least a couple of people who thought that way, but I think we didn't. We don't get a whole ton of feedback on the show, but not everyone was complaining about your breathing and all of that stuff. We were trying to get a noise gate for the show, and now we have one. So, 
Thank you very much, Jim. That's exactly what we were looking for. The only problem is now i got to change what our donation bucket is for, but that, that shouldn't take long. The good listeners of Linux and Hamshack have never really been a major uh, contributor to the I Hate the Way Richard Sounds fan club. I'll tell you what, they used to gripe about it on other show, though. But you know what? From now on, it's not going to be an issue because Jim has sent us this wonderful, wonderful piece of technology, and we're going to put it to good use. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Pass the mashed taters, please. With that, I think I'll let Russ talk a minute. All right. Well, I'll do the one I got. Let's see. Let me. What's the oldest one I got here? Okay. The oldest one I've got is the one you don't have. So let's let's go ahead and get through this one. <laughs> you remember a couple episodes when we talked to about a an email we got from Jim N two E N N. Uh huh. We talked a large portion of an episode about that email, and Jim is back to talk about our talking about his email. So I'm going to read this, and we will probably not do too much with it, but we might address certain things if you think uh, they're worth addressing. But here we go. Let me get my pen out. Okay. Okay, go ahead. All right, this is again from Jim, November 2, Echo, November, November. And he says, Hi, guys. Back for more hate and discontent. Number one, built for Windows. Parlez-vous signed driver? Not only do the hardware makers build hardware for Windows, they pay Microsoft for the privilege. Thanks to the idea of reverse engineering, hardware built for Windows tends to run on Linux as well. That's all I'm going to say about that. Got any notes you want to make? I just have no idea what he's talking about. Because you, you guys are smarter than I am. Well, I don't want to spend a whole another episode on this anyway. Actually, to tell you the truth, hate and discontent, no. Everybody has their own views on stuff. You have your views, we have our views, and sometimes our views don't mesh. That's what makes things interesting. If we all liked the same stuff and thought the same way, everything would be very boring. Oh, my God, I just had a collapse over here. Keep going, Russ. All right, bullet number two, X-Free86 versus Xorg. If your Red Hat Enterprise Linux was installed before last September, you are running X-Free. I guarantee you no one who listens to this program is running Red Hat Enterprise Linux because I doubt anyone would pay for an enterprise-grade Linux. CentOS. Well, we know CentOS is the free equivalent of RHEL, and when everybody I know wants to run things that require Red Hat Enterprise Linux, they use CentOS, so... That's all I'll say about that. And CentOS uses Xorg. Well, what I read is that he uh, he purchases the enterprise version, rebrands it, puts it back out. How he makes any money that way, I don't know, but that's what I was told. I mean, he's just being a nice guy, I guess. Some people have the extra, you know, cash. Okay, I knew something about that one. Okay. Bullet number three, driver chaos. As long as you run generic hardware and are content to do word processing, spreadsheets, and Klondike Solitaire, you're all set. If you want to use my USB wireless Ethernet stick, you have to do the make config, make, make install dance. Since the Ubuntu kernel has changed enough to require new drivers three times since 9.10 came out, that means compiling a new driver almost every month. The same applies to my two video capture devices, my 5.1 sound card, my PIC microprocessor burner, my quad 8-bit parallel card, etc. 
This computer I'm typing on has 299 megs of drivers in live modules. That's stroke live, stroke modules. For the four slight variations of the 2.6.31 kernel that Ubuntu has released for Karmic since last October. If all the hardware you are using is covered by these kernel objects, you're all set. With Windows or Mac, you install one binary, and it's good until you change to a new version. No hardware manufacturing is going to set up a disk of the month club for 1% of their users. So do we even want to address that? <laughs> well, well, the fact of the matter is uh, Linux has the flexibility to take care and improve upon their stuff. And when you get a, get a driver from Microsoft or Windows or uh, Apple or actually where it would fall down to is the video manufacturers, the Ethernet card manufacturers, the camera manufacturers, and you get stuck with the same drivers with all the problems it may have until the next upgrade. Uh, then they send, or they send out what are, are called patches. Uh, we do get patches in Linux, but they're not as far, not as uh, frequent as they are in other stuff. And if there is a patch, it's normally remedied pretty quickly. So, uh, the other side of it is also, it's important to, gear things towards the the equipment that most people have and a lot of people don't have the money to go out and buy the highest end hot rod high tech stuff so most people use what works not what's expensive thank you so much yeah yeah and it looks like he has a lot of esoteric hardware so that's one problem maybe mm-hmm. and the other thing is yes you sometimes have to update your drivers to match the kernel spec if the kernel spec changes, but only if the parts of the kernel that changed are involved in the driver that you're using. And as Lord Drakenblut in that episode pointed out, there is a new struct or a new construct called DKMS, which does those driver builds for you whenever the kernel gets updated. So that problem of having to rebuild kernel drivers for every kernel upgrade is going away. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, four, bullet point four, binary blobs. Change the name of the blobs to firmware and the complaints go away. Perception is the only reality. So I'm guessing he's actually agreeing with us about our little comments on binary blobs, well, our comments on firmware for embedded devices like wireless cards and so on. So we got one agreement out of them. Anyway. Well, there you go. Okay, so here's the rest of it. I started using Linux seriously with Debian Ham on a Gateway Colorbook 486. Since I wanted sound in PCMCIA, I had to build a kernel and be able to tell the sound card and Ethernet modules the IRQ, DMA, and port settings to mod probe with. Lots of cut and try. Nobody said that PCMCIA required the PCI subsystem, I've been using Linux exclusively on my home computers since the alpha of PC Linux OS 2007. I went with that since I was tired of using the command line to set up WPA, and in 2007 Ubuntu expected you to run your wireless open. I have Ubuntu 9.10 on this machine, Linux Mint 7 on a compact Evo N610C, and Puppy Linux on a Fujitsu P1120 11-inch touchscreen that I use for a book reader and video viewer. I've built two interfaces to use FL Digi with this computer and my FT817. Fun. If there's no if there are no differences of opinion, nothing gets fixed, nothing moves ahead. Keep up the good show. I enjoy your attempted attacks. Problem is, since I know everything, I'm bulletproof. Can't touch me. Ha. And that's from Jim N2ENN. 
Does he think he's me? <laughs> I think he's trying to give you a run for your money. No, I think I actually I think he thinks he's Peter sixty four. Quite honestly, <laughs> I really do. Or he could be Asmuth. I don't know. No, wait a minute. Them guys are in here. I better shut up. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe he th- maybe he thinks he's Dave Yates. Aha. <laughs> Aha. Dave, uh, well, that'll get Dave over here listening. Yeah, right. <laughs> Why'd you drop a few more names while you're at it? Oh, uh, well, let me see. Who can I think of next? No, we already got them all. Actually, to tell you the truth, we appreciate an email like that because we'd like to hear about these things. And if we hear something and somebody has a disagreement with the way we're thinking about something, even though, uh, Russ is like the, the Linux guy. I'm just the crappy old fat, toothless ham radio guy. But, um, uh, differences of opinion are good because sometimes your difference of opinion with us makes us go out and, um, research stuff and makes us better. Uh, podcasters by allowing us to bring back better information to the folks that listen to the show. So you go ahead and send those emails in. And in fact, we don't hate you. We love you, man. Cause we want those emails. We want them. Yep. We love you. We love you. And in a not very gay way too. Yep. I'll have you know that my children and I have all determined that I am 95% less gay than the majority of the population. So there you have it. Okay, well, I'm going to say two quick things, and then you can go on to the next email. First one uh, is I just want to give a quick shout-out to KE2YK, who is apparently Linux in the Ham Shack's largest cheerleader and biggest fan, because he mentioned us at every possible opportunity. So thank you very much, KE2YK. And the other thing is we got a donation for your noise gate, which will actually go to something else now, from Gary, and that was back on the 5th of April. So thank you, Gary, for your donation. All donations are gladly accepted. And I think what we're going to do now is put the donations toward hosting. That's what most podcasts do. Since we have new hosting, that's probably what we need to do. So thank you for your donation to our hosting. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Uh, we're not going to do the extensive thing that Jerry did and tell you every little penny that we spend on hosting. But I, I guarantee you, uh, he wasn't far off when he was talking on his uh, last full episode uh, it is expensive and everything on these shows is out of pocket. That's one of the reasons the other show is floundering right now. And we darn sure appreciate it. So, um, even though the, the, the guys that run the Linux shows, they, they, they blow raspberries at us and stuff because we ask people to donate. But that's the ham radio side of the show. It's not the Linux side of the show. Hee hee. <laughs> all right. Hit the next one. It's all you. Oh, no. Now i got to do one. Okay, let's try this. Greetings, Richard and John. I think we should not read this one just because he called me John. I'll I'll fix it. Hang on a minute. Let me scribble on it. Where's my eraser? Okay. Uh, Greetings, Richard and Russ. I have just started listening to LHS podcast and am enjoying them. LN am enjoying them. Holy mackerel. I started listening to uh, Richard's other podcast podcast and wound up here by the way for uh, richard please hurry up and bring back the rf podcast okay i told y'all it's on hiatus right now it's a hosting issue and when we get it resolved we'll see what happens all right so i want to make two comments one about linux and the other about ham radio first to linux i believe that linux is a great os but my problem being a noob is that there is nowhere to turn to find info when something goes wrong. 
the other two OSs have help available from them and from other users online. Linux, OT, OH. Well, huh? On the other hand. Oh, well, I'm not up on all this, uh, yeah, I know. Te- that's, texting that's jargon. <laughs> anyway, Linux, on the other hand, is like a big frat club that you can't get into without the secret handshake until all the Linux distros have help online and printed that anyone can find and understand it will never be more popular than the evil empires in Redmond or Cupertino. Have we Next. Not have we not mentioned that uh, Ubuntu has paid support, just like the other big OSs that we don't mention? Well, you know, all the big OSs have paid support. Uh, I myself have never had a problem that I couldn't resolve by going to the forums at uh, Ubuntu or over at Debian. Or um, even when I was running SUSE, it was a little more a little more difficult to get information over there. But uh, there is a huge community out there willing to... Uh, give you information on how to solve your problems there's plenty of how to's uh there are groups you can get into and uh, it's not near as common nowadays to get rtfm as it was back a few even a few years back when uh, i was starting to use linux um in fact uh, i can't remember but there was something just day before yesterday that i went to the search and went to google Typed in what was wrong. It took me straight to the Ubuntu forums. I found a thread in there on it. Uh, went down the thread, saw what was going on, did what they said, and boom, it was fixed. I would consider yeah. the ham radio community the fraternity that requires the secret handshake, not Linux. Well, not even that. But, you know, we're, it's a little harder to become a ham and get information, but not really because once you're in, everybody's willing to share it with you also. Other people have different experiences, and I've met a few people that felt that way. But as far as the secret hand, handshake thing, and we'll get get on with that in a minute. But uh, yeah, because you've made comments, the, uh, you've made comments on the other show about your some of your local ham radio clubs. Well, those guys are just jackasses. <laughs> anyway, so uh, you know, what do you have to say about that? Other than the uh, uh, paid, uh, the uh, paid. Uh, yeah, whatever it was. Well, I would say that the community for support on the Internet for Linux distributions is absolutely enormous. And whether you're talking about forums or user guides or tutorials, uh, going to Google is all you really need to do. And if it comes down to the fact that you don't feel comfortable with that kind of support and you need paid support, go to Ubuntu and pay Canonical to help you with your problems. If you th- if you think the support options that Microsoft and and Apple provide are what you need, then Ubuntu has carefully taken the time to make sure they provide that same kind of support. And the fact of the matter is, Microsoft grew up in an office. Linux grew up on the on the internet. So when it comes time to go looking for help where Linux is concerned. You're right at home. You're on, you're only a couple of mouse clicks in the browser from being where you need to be. All right. So, uh, you got anything else on that before I go to the next, uh, paragraph? No, I'll let you go ahead and finish up. 
Okay, next to, next to ham radio, he says, uh, the problem with the amateur radio community today is similar to the computer comments above. The good old boys that had a built, had built a transmitter in the FCC office, but, uh, wait a minute, let me back up. The good old boys that had to build a transmitter in the FCC office to be able to send and receive code at 50 words a minute that won't accept the newer hams because they didn't have to jump through the burning hoop like they did is a large negative to the hobby. I am an extra that had an easier way in, but not the easiest one that we have now. I took the separate novice and tech test, passed a five-word-a-minute code test, then took the general and extra test to get where I am. That being said, I don't believe the new hams are any less of a ham than I am. I feel sorry for them because they will never know the joy of taking a code test for the Tech Plus and passing it. That being said, I also respect those who have jumped through the burning hoop, and I wonder if I could have passed the test they took. I will never know. Bottom line for both comments above, uh, cut us noobs some slack, let us find the info we need, and then judge us on what we do with it. It is not the class of the license the amateur holds, it is the class of the amateur that holds the license. And that is from, uh, well, where's it at? WWKB9TMP uh, in uh, looks like Lawrence County, Indiana. Well, on the amateur radio side, let me, let me say this: you're you're correct to some extent. Yes, there are a bunch of guys out there that can't let it go. There's a bunch of guys out there that think that you uh, anybody who didn't uh, well, you know, there's some out there that look down on me because I didn't have to go take the code test down at the FCC's office, go take my novice and have it upgraded in a year or lose my license. And I've been a ham radio operator for 20 years, so I took a five word a minute novice test because it was part of the novice test when I took it. I took the tech test. Um, I took a 13-word-a-minute uh, code test for general, uh, the general theory test, and the advanced test. And the only reason that I'm not an extra right now is I don't know if I can uh, – It I nearly didn't get that AC theory the first time around. But as far as uh, the new guys, you're right. The only complaint I've ever had about the new guys is that they came in so fast that we couldn't get a hold of them, get them elmered upright, and there's a few of them out there that aren't that great. But there's also guys that that are members of QCWA that aren't that great. And even some of them guys that run uh, American American Morse code instead of international Morse code down on 30 meters at 45 and 50 words a minute, uh, some of them guys ain't so great either. So you're absolutely correct in just about all, all of it, but don't blame the whole community. Blame the, uh, the ones that are standing out because there's a lot of guys like myself and guys that have been licensed longer that have embraced the newer guys, uh, brought them in. And actually Jim Haney, the uh, former president of the amateur radio relay league, American radio relay league, uh, who's a local boy from down here. And in fact, his call sign and my call sign, uh, are so close that people used to keep uh, mistaking, uh, me for him and him for me has stated that he wouldn't want to take today's technician test because there's stuff on there that he has no idea what it's about. 
mainly concerning stuff like CMOS chips and things like that. So, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I need to get off my soapbox, but it's been so long since I've been able to do a resonant frequency that it just kind of came flowing out. So, Russ, take it away from me before I hurt myself. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know where to go with that. I think you're right, and I'm a ham who jumped through most of that burning hoop, but I didn't. I'm not an extra yet, so I didn't have to take the twenty word a minute test, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have passed it if I had to which meant that the 20-word-per-minute would have been a barrier to entry for extra class for me. But I don't know. I I don't begrudge people who are getting into the hobby now. I I think that a calculated decision was made to to keep the licensing tests relatively difficult, but not so difficult that people would stop being interested, especially in a day and age where there are so many other technologies that it would be very easy to forget about ham radio. So I think the right move was made. It's certainly no fun that a lot of the amateur radio operators, the older ones anyway, have that kind of attitude. But we just have to hope that they're they're all dying off and the rest of us are, are the good guys and we'll keep promoting the hobby in the future. There you go. The last, last thing I really want to say about this is my father. Uh, my father wanted to be a ham radio operator from the time he was a little bitty kid, and he never got his uh, uh, novice class license until he was 50 years old. And that's one of the things that was bad about the old system because it kept people like him who really wanted to be but did not have the time to study and learn Morse code because he was a police officer and his schedule was kind of busy uh, from getting their license. But right now, the tests are in a different way, just as tough as having to learn that uh, Morse code. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. But we do appreciate your comments, and you're right. And I'll tell you right now, feel free to email me if you've got questions. You're having trouble with the either side, the Linux side, the amateur radio side, and you're needing uh, somebody to point you in the right direction, you're welcome to email me, email me through the show, whatever you want to do. Send us a audio comment. We can answer your questions on the on the show and help more than just you out in the process. However, you want to handle it, uh, you, you know, keep those things coming in. So we've just about beat that one to death for sure. Okay, so what else we got, Russ? <laughs> well, we got one more. Might as well knock it out and get out of here. Okay, this one is from Daniel, who is not currently a ham but hopes to be shortly, and it goes like this. Hello, Richard and Russ. My name is Danny. Just discovered your podcast. I am studying for the tech license with the help of people at Courage Handy Hams. They help people with disabilities with ham radio. I was advised to use Windows for my ham needs. Well, shame on them. But I want to try Linux. Since I am totally blind, I will use Orca, the screen reader that works with GNOME. How may I make sure that a computer, such as a used one, is fully compatible, is fully compatible with Linux? Also, have you known any blind ham radio people using Linux for their radio stuff? And that's from Danny. All right. Well, let, let me let me grab a piece of it. I'm I'm gonna put 
Uh, I'm going to make Russ do the hard part. <laughs> well, you know, Courage Handyhams, that's a, that, that's a group that doesn't get a lot of, uh, a lot of play in the amateur radio community. Everybody within the sound of my voice, it's a radio operator and even you Linux guys, y'all go over and check out Courage Handyhams because, uh, Courage Handyhams is definitely one of those organizations that you, it would be great to get behind. And in a case like this, they're definitely a need for old, computers that are compatible and will work with a uh, uh, one of the current copies of Linux and stuff like that. There's also places like we have Lighthouse for the Blind here in the in the Dallas area, which does very similar stuff, produces Braille text uh, periodicals and helps set up computers and stuff like that for uh, uh, the, the uh, sight-impaired folks in this area. And as far as uh, the Windows end of it, most of these folks, all they know is Windows. And Windows does have a lot of good tools for the, uh, for folks with disabilities. That's one thing I can say on that side, but there are tools that are just as good or almost as good on the Linux side also. So, um, I'm sure somebody can get you, uh, set up in your location with a Linux box using Orca that will, uh, let you move in the ham radio direction. Now, I've done all the goodwill, kissy, lovey, uh, sharing, caring stuff for us. Uh, how's he gonna figure out that a computer's compatible with Linux? Well, when I first read this email, my original thought was that any computer that he comes across is likely to be compatible with Linux, especially as the kernel goes on. I don't want to say that with a, you know, 100% certainty, but unless it's something that's just so old it's not even worth using, I can't imagine you'd have any trouble getting Linux to run on it. I'm going to plug a company that I'm disappointed with, and hopefully you'll see why in a minute. On a lot of the other ham radio-related podcasts, there is a company started by a blind amateur radio operator, or not a blind amateur radio operator, but a blind computer user who is interested in Linux and open source, who went around to basically every podcast out there and pushed that they advertise his business. That's every podcast except us. And for that, I am highly disappointed. However, his company addresses your issue. And it's a company called Frostbite Systems. They're at frostbitesystems.org, and they create and sell Linux base systems that are specifically designed for visually impaired and blind users. So if you are wanting to go that route and get a new system, frostbitesystems.org is probably a place to go. And let me say that if you happen to go that route and talk to them, please let them know that we exist because I'm a little annoyed. But anyway, if they get a sale out of this, then they better know where it came from. If you're looking for older hardware or donated hardware, um, I think Richard can tell you and I can tell you that basically every computer that has come through this house and every computer that has come through his house has been able to run some variant of Linux one way or another. Now, the Debian variants pretty much work on everything. Sometimes you have to use a lighter weight desktop environment because you don't have that much horsepower, but overall... Any hardware you come across these days should work just fine, unless you're like Jim N2ENN and you have a bunch of esoteric hardware, which it doesn't sound like you're going to do. Unfortunately, the barrier to entry as far as getting a distribution installed on a computer and set up for blind users, especially using Orca, 
is pretty difficult. I believe there is an Ubuntu distribution tailored to the blind, and there is also an Arch Linux distribution tailored to the blind. But both of them are still very hard to install because you have to do some of the initial setup work before Orca is actually doing its job. That's pretty much all I have to say about that. I mean, there's a couple of options there for you. I wouldn't be worried about compatibility, so to speak. I think you'll find that everything is compatible. But getting something set up on your own without some outside assistance is probably going to be fairly difficult. Well, one of the things I was going to suggest, as you're moving towards your amateur radio license um, and you talk to some of the people around you, get in contact with your local amateur radio club because you'll find that there's probably more people in that club using Linux than actually uh, let people know. Uh, I, when I first started it, I was the club I was going to. Um, I'd been using Linux for a couple of months, and one night a fellow, uh, we were having a discussion on when we were going to schedule a meeting, and one fellow stood up and said, "Hey, I've got to go to my my Linux users group on such and such night." I didn't even know that he was a user of Linux, or I would have been asking him about Linux from the get-go because he was accessible uh something else is try and find out if there are any actual user groups i don't even know if they can still call them lugs or not in your area where where you might be able to talk to some of the folks there but um, you would be surprised there are a lot more ham radio operators out there using linux than uh, you would uh, figure by looking at the surface now as far as blind hams are concerned yeah i only know one blind ham and uh jim jim has gotten to the point that he about the only thing he does is operate uh on uh, vhf via an old uh i think it's icom 2at which has got thumb wheels on it so he can kind of tell where he is instead of a lcd readout on it so um as far as actual actual experience with getting somebody set up that i do not have but the place to start would probably be with your amateur radio, your local amateur radio group. And I'm sure a lot of those people are the ones that are advising you to use Windows. Windows is easy enough to get a lot of stuff for. And once again, I say they do have pretty good tools for the, uh, for the sight impaired. But, um, I really think it's probably not going to be as big an ordeal as you might think getting a Linux box set up where you can use it. Am I right or wrong? All I've seen as far as blind users and getting a box set up from scratch has been fairly difficult because there is some, you know, because there is some level of having to deal with the installer CD before Orca and other accessibility options are enabled. So there, there is some difficulty there, but once you get past that initial step, uh, everything usually works out pretty well. Well, there you go. Danny, I'm sorry we weren't a whole lot more help on this, but uh, I think you're headed in the right direction. So we've run our head a long time. I think we're at the end of feedback. I'm not sure. We are uh, at the end of feedback, and I think we're at the end of the show. We're probably at the end of the show. Uh, we'd like to thank everybody in the in the chat room tonight. If you want to contact me, uh, I'm K- Richard, KB5JBV. You can contact me via KB5JBV at gmail.com, KB5JBV at gmail.com. Or follow me on Twitter, Identica, Facebook. Just don't follow me too close because we wouldn't want you to get arrested for stalking. I'm just about KB5. You go wherever wherever you want to be social and you type in KB5JBV, and I'm probably there. 
Or you can say you can go to the website, whatever the name of it is. Fred's Fresh Fried No. Oh, LHSinfo.org. Go on over to LHSinfo.org and drop us a line over there. Leave us a, leave us a voicemail. We like voice audio comments. I know you guys got mic fried. It's not like your ham radio operators or anything, but you can go over there and leave us a voicemail and who knows? It might even get on the air. And y'all don't forget to send Bill, Bill email to, to tell him he's doing a good job. Or you might even send Russ some email because he gets lonely every once in a while. Tell him how they can send you an email, Russ. I do get lonely. So send me, send me email so I don't have to go commit suicide by jumping off a bridge or something like that. And you really don't want that to happen because all the bridges around here are only about four feet high. So I'll just get hurt. Anyway, you can email me at k5tux at lhspodcast.info. You can email both of us simultaneously at info at lhspodcast.info. Make sure to send us a voice comment if you get the urge, and we'll play it on the air unless you tell us not to. Those numbers are 888-455-0305. Or if you can't call those toll-free numbers, use 417-429-4069. Make sure to leave a comment on the website. Comment on anything you want. Send us a donation to help us with our hosting provider as we go forward and try and provide you with better service. Make sure to send us an audio introduction, and you could win 25 big ones. That'd be U.S. dollars. You can follow me on Twitter and MySpace and Foursquare and Facebook and all those places using the name J.R. Woodman, or I happen to be K5TUX over at 73s.org. I think that's about all the information I have. Make sure to go to the website and check out the new logo, lhspodcast.info. I think that's going to wrap it up. Thanks to everyone in the chat room. Hope everyone has a good couple of weeks. And we will catch you all in a little while. That's right. And join us next time for the next installment of the Anemic in the Ham Shack podcast. And we don't want Russ jumping off none of them short bridges because if he breaks his leg, we're going to have to have him put down. From the bunker down here in Bald Springs, Texas, this is KB5JBV. See y'all later.